God is good. I have a message from the Word of God today. I was talking to Cindy about this series on the parables that we, that we started. And I was telling her, it's almost like I, I should have I titled the series Jesus Unfiltered. Because that's really what this parable series is. Jesus tells the story, the story that He tells us lessons that we apply to our lives. And it really kind of upends some of the assumptions we make about Him, about salvation, about the kingdom of God. Jesus has a way of upending, turning right side up our ideas about how the kingdom works and why He came and how we're saved and, and what this life with Christ is all about. So it's really like listening to Jesus unfiltered, if you will. If you've got the church app, you can follow along in the notes there. Um, but if you want to take notes, I'd appreciate you doing that. It'll help, I think, uh, maybe sink some of these ideas and truths and principles into your minds. There's no such thing as a perfect wedding, is there? Has anyone ever been to a perfect wedding? I haven't. There's always, every wedding I've done, there's always been something weird going on. I, I tell the bride, because the brides are really kind of finicky about their weddings. They want their weddings to go really well, don't they, Jennifer? You had one recently, so you know what I'm talking about. The brides all want their weddings to be perfect, and I tell the brides up front, nothing's going to be perfect, but every mistake becomes a memory. So enjoy it. No matter what happens, just enjoy it. Well, there's no such thing as a perfect wedding. Because something unexpected always happens. At the, at the last wedding that Lorna and I attended, the bride missed her cue to enter. And we sat there for at least five minutes, which is an eternity in terms of wedding time, waiting for the bride to come down the center aisle, only she never came down the aisle. And Okay, I'm thinking runaway bride. First thought, you know. Well, she finally heard the cue or somebody pushed her out the door. I don't know, but she started walking down the aisle. And everything was going along fine until the groom fainted. Twice. That's a wedding to remember. She handled it very well. I, was, I didn't know how this bride would respond, and she was so gracious. And they, they completed the wedding. The bride, the groom, and the pastor were all sitting in chairs. So everybody was safe, and today I'm happy to say about a month later, they're happily married and doing very, very well. So that wedding ended up pretty well in spite of all the unexpected problems. But the wedding in today's parable called the parable of the ten virgins, it doesn't end quite so well. Five young women who should have been part of the bridal party, they're left out in the cold. Their lack of preparation hurt them and they end up banned from the wedding celebration. It must have been a tragic day in their life. This parable really is about the return of Christ and His second coming. There's a phrase in verse 10 that echoed in my mind. It just resonated in my mind as I studied this parable, and I want to point it out to you as we begin. There's this little phrase in verse 10. It simply says this, and the door was shut. And the door was shut. Say that little phrase with me. And the door was shut. That phrase just, it, it just echoed in my heart and mind as I studied the parable. And, and when you say it, there's like this awful sense of finality to it. It means that the door was shut, that the door was locked, that the door could not be opened again. It means that those on the inside were safe and they were happy. It means those on the outside 
were lost and could never experience what was going on on the inside. And no matter how they called out, no matter how they cried out for the door to be opened, the door could not be opened again for them. I want you to think, if you will, about Noah's Ark. That's what comes to my mind when I think of, and the door was shut. Noah's Ark, he spent a hundred years preaching the Gospel as he built the boat, warning people that judgment was coming. But once God shut the door, there was no getting inside the ark, and only Noah and his family were saved. That's the image. That's the thought that kept resonating through my mind as I read this parable. Look, there's a door that leads to heaven. This gets right to the heart of the story. There's a door that leads to heaven. And it's the door of God's grace that opened for us by Christ's death on the cross. The door to heaven has stood open now for 2,000 years. And it's still open today. The door hasn't been shut yet. It's still open today for us. And over that door, there's a sign that reads this, Whosoever will may come. Whosoever will may come. That door is still open. Anyone, anywhere, anytime can go through that door today and they will find salvation. They will find new life. They will experience forgiveness. They will enjoy freedom and they will get eternal life for the rest of eternity. But the parable of the ten virgins, and it's about to get really somber in here right now, the parable of the ten virgins reminds us that that door won't stand open forever. The door won't stand open forever. The door to heaven will be shut one day. We have to step through that open door to heaven before we die or before Christ returns. Whichever comes first. We have to step through that door before we die or before Christ comes back, whichever comes first. Because once we die, or once He returns, whichever happens first, that door will be shut, and no one can enter. So, alright, got real quiet. Y'all listening, aren't you? To appreciate the impact of the parable, again, I have to remind you about some things regarding first century Jewish marriage customs, because you really won't get it unless you do. In those days, when there were marriages among the ancient Jewish families, it happened, the marriage ceremony or, or weddings, I don't know how to, the marriage process took place in three phases. The first phase was this, there was the betrothal period. And in the betrothal period phase, a marriage contract was drawn up by the family of the groom and the family of the bride. They signed the agreement, a dowry was given, from the bride's parents to the groom's parents to guarantee that the, that the contract would be carried through. And then the bride continued to live with her parents for about a year while the groom went back to his home to prepare a home for her. Okay, So that's called the betrothal period. The betrothal period lasted about a year. The second phase of this marriage process would happen about a year after the betrothal first happened. And, uh, and when all the preparations were made, when the house was ready for the bride, the groom and his friends would form a parade and they would go back to the bride's house where the bride and her bridesmaids would join them in the parade and they would all make their way back to the groom's house for the wedding celebration, the wedding ceremony. 
which that's the third phase, if you will, in this wedding process. There would be the ceremony, and then after the wedding ceremony, all the invited guests would enjoy a marriage feast that would sometimes last for days. It just turned into a big block party for all the invited folks. So that's the background for the story. That's the background of this parable today. In the story, we have the bridesmaids who have heard that the groom is on his way to get the bride. And they're waiting alongside the road with their lamps for him to appear so they can join in the, in the parade. But for some reason, the groom is delayed. And five of the bridesmaids, who the parable calls wise, they were prepared for that delay. But there were five of the virgins who were called foolish, and they weren't prepared. They weren't ready. Now look, the message of the parable is really simple, and it's really clear, and you probably have heard it before. Has anybody, are you familiar with this parable already? Good. So I'm not telling you anything you don't already know at this point, right? The message in, the, in this parable is really simple. It's really clear. We are to be ready at all times for Christ Jesus to return. We're to be ready at all times to meet Christ face to face. The bridegroom re represents Christ Jesus. The wedding celebration represents Christ's return. The virgins represent people like you and me. And the question that we have to answer at the end of this story is this. Am I ready to meet Jesus if He comes today? And that's what I want you, with the help of the Holy Spirit, that's the question I want you to answer for yourself today. I can't answer that question for you. Are you ready to meet Jesus today? Let's pray. Father, I love you so much, and I thank you for the, your word, its simplicity, but its power. I thank you for its truth. I thank you for its quickness, its sharpness. It divides truth from falsehood. It divides, it gets right down to the heart of things. It helps us to discern who we are and where we are in our relationship with you. And I pray today that you would have your way in this room, that you would simply use me as your messenger Help me to say only what you would have me say, nothing more, nothing less. That you might be glorified in this word and through this word and that people's hearts would be opened. Open to this message, this message of grace, this message of reconciliation, this message of restoration, this message of salvation. Lord, prepare their hearts to receive a word that's from your heart to theirs. We'll give you the glory as you use it to save us and to change us. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's read this parable together. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, Here's the bridegroom! Come out to meet him! Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. No, they replied, There may not be enough for both of us and you. 
Instead, go to those with oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. That little phrase, boy, that stands out, doesn't it? And the door was shut. Later, the others also came. Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, truly, I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. I want to start off by just making two observations about this little parable. I know that you've, you, you've made these observations already, and you've probably heard a, a message preached from this passage of Scripture, but I'm going to make these observations for you one more time, because some of you may not be aware of all this, uh, this parable has to, uh, to bring to light for us today. But two observations as we begin. The first observation is this. On the surface, you can't tell the difference between the wise virgins and the foolish ones. They all look the same. On the surface, you can't tell one from the other. They all look the same. All ten had been invited to the wedding, and all ten had accepted their, the invitation. All ten had, they, they went out to meet the groom. All ten had their lamps with them. All ten were in the right place at the right time for the right reason. All ten of them fell asleep while they waited. Wake up. All ten of them heard the midnight cry that the bridegroom was coming. All ten got up to go prepare their lamps. All ten of them appeared, keyword, appeared, to be ready for the bridegroom's coming. So you could have put all ten of these bridesmaids up in a lineup and you wouldn't have been able to tell which ones were wise and which ones were foolish because to the untrained eye, to those who could not see the heart of each of those bride, uh, bridesmaids, to the untrained eye, they all looked the same on the outside. So how were they different? Second observation. How were they different? Five of them were prepared. That's the difference. The only difference between the five wise virgins and the five uh, foolish virgins is that the five wise ones were prepared in case the bridegroom was delayed. That's the only difference. Outwardly, they all look the same. But five of them had made preparations for the unexpected delay. They prepared for the possibility that the groom might be delayed, so they brought extra oil just in case. The other five, they never thought about the possibility. They never considered that the bridegroom might be delayed in his coming. They, or maybe they just dismissed it altogether. So, but whatever the case, they just simply didn't prepare, and it cost those five foolish virgins entrance into the wedding celebration. Now, before you feel sorry for those foolish virgins... I want you to remember this. They all had the same information. They all knew the same stuff. They all had the same warnings, the same indications. They'd all been through this process before. Probably they knew everything. All of them knew all the same information. They knew the bridegroom had been delayed. They all knew about that. They knew they needed oil for their lamps. They all had time to go back and get oil for the lamps before the bridegroom came. But it still caught them unprepared. They weren't ready they weren't ready for the bridegroom's coming. 
Well, to me, this raises three more questions. I'm, just, I'm, I'm, I'm going with you. I'm, I'm taking you through the process I went through as I studied this parable. The three more questions that come to my mind. I can't tell them apart. The only difference is they were that five of them were prepared, five of them weren't. Well, it raises three more questions in my mind, and I, maybe you're asking the same questions. Why was the bridegroom delayed? We're not told in this story why the bridegroom was delayed. If it was a modern day story, we would say, well, he was coming from 280 and got tied up in traffic. I can believe that one. Or we could say, well, the airports got shut down because of bad weather and he never got on the plane. I can understand, but we're not told in this story why the bridegroom was delayed. But let me tell you this, we do know why Jesus has delayed his coming. Follow me. The bridegroom's Jesus, right? We don't know why the bridegroom in the story was delayed, but we are told in the Bible why Jesus has delayed His coming. We've been waiting for 2,000 years for Him to come back for His bride. The early church lived with the constant expectation that at any time the, the, the eastern sky would split and Christ Jesus was coming back for them. You can read it in the New Testament over and over again. They anticipated His, his imminent return. We're 2,000 years down the road. Why hasn't He come back yet? Why the delay? 2 Peter chapter 3 gives us, or 2 Peter chapter 2 gives us the reason. 2 Peter 2.9 says, The Lord is not slow in keeping His promise. He's made a promise He's coming back, right? He's not slow in keeping His promise as some understand slowness. Instead, He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish but everyone to come to repentance. Jesus delays His coming so that more people can be saved, so that more people can be brought into the wedding celebration in the, in the last days. Jesus delays His coming so that His house may be full. Maybe He's waiting on you. But at some point, my mouth is going dry. Let me Before I say anything further, I need to... At some point, at some time, somewhere on this planet, someone is going to bow their knees and open their heart and receive Christ Jesus as Savior. And that will be the last one that Jesus is waiting on. You, you do get that, right? At some point, someone will bow their knee, accept Christ Jesus as Savior, receive Him as the Lord of their life, and that will be the final soul He's waiting on. And then what happens? The day of the Lord, the second coming, the rapture, however you want to believe it. There are different ways of interpreting it. We'll get into that next year. I'm just saying, Maybe you're the one, maybe you're not. I'm just saying there's going to be one last soul. Have you ever thought about that? Who, who's that going to be? Dude, we've been waiting on you forever to get here for 2,000 years. We've been waiting on you. I don't know. He delays his coming because he wants his house to be full. I imagine he's waiting on some of you. He's waiting on some of you. Then why were the five foolish, 
uh, five foolish virgins locked out. If Jesus wants his house to be full, why were the five foolish virgins locked out? Verse 11 implies that they found some oil, that these five foolish virgins found some oil, and they returned to the door, and they asked to be let in. Lord, let us in. So why couldn't they get in? They couldn't get in because it was too late. Because it was too late. Once the door was shut, that door wouldn't be opened again. No matter how long they stood outside, no matter how long they called out to the Lord to open the door, that door wasn't going to open again. Look, Genesis chapter 6 says this, My spirit will not contend with humans forever, for they're mortal. There comes a day where God, He, he won't be, he, he won't be, the word there, contend, means to strive with us. He's not going to do this little dance with us. There's going to come a day where the door is shut. And no one can open it. There's going to be a day where his patience comes to an end. And the little dance and little negotiations that we do with him, don't we like to negotiate with God? Well, God, when you do this, I'll do that. There comes a day where all those kinds of negotiations, they don't work anymore. They don't really work now. Once the door was shut, it couldn't be opened again. You see, once a person dies, I want to bring it back to this point. Once a person dies, or once Christ returns, the door to heaven for them is closed. It's closed. They can't be opened again. If a person doesn't enter the door of salvation while they have the opportunity in this life, there won't be another chance again for them. Once the door is shut, it's shut once and for all. Boy, that's serious stuff, isn't it? Serious stuff. We don't think about it very often. But the little dance you're doing with God right now, kicking the can down the road, time runs out. Because we're mortal. Y'all understand that, right? I know there are a bunch of kids in the room, and kids are, you know, when they're young, they think that they're immortal. I stood beside the bed of a 17-year-old yesterday in an ICU. And they're deciding this morning whether or not to pull the plug on the life support systems keeping him alive. We're mortal. We're mortal. And time for us will run out. We, it can be too late for us. What does the oil represent? That's the third question I ask myself. What does the oil represent? Well, in the Bible, we know that oil often represents the presence of the Holy Spirit. And in this story, I believe that the oil symbolizes the presence of the Holy Spirit that lives inside the hearts of true believers. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit if we have given our lives to Christ. And I believe in this parable that the five wise virgins are those whose hearts have been truly changed, truly transformed, by, truly born again by the presence of the Holy Spirit. The five wise virgin, virgins have been truly saved, truly converted. But those five foolish virgins, listen to me carefully here, the five foolish virgins are those 
who might have come under the conviction of the Holy Spirit, but they never surrendered to the Holy Spirit. They may have been touched by the Holy Spirit, but they never yielded to the Holy Spirit. They may have been helped through a problem. They may have, the Holy Spirit might even have helped them overcome an addiction. But they never truly offered their lives to Jesus as a living sacrifice. They never actually repented of sin and confessed their need for a Savior. It's amazing to me. It's amazing to me how, how the most secular of people People who don't even trust Christ, don't even like Jesus, when they start applying His principles to their life, their life improves. You ever notice that? You can take the financial principles in the Bible and apply them to your life, have nothing at all to do with Jesus, just apply the principles in the Bible to your life, and your financial condition will improve. Your marriages improve if you just apply the principles of the Bible to your marriage. But that doesn't mean you're saved. That doesn't mean you're converted. That doesn't mean you're full of the Holy Spirit. Oh, you guys, I know it's so hard. It's a hard word, man. You see, Romans chapter 8 says this. But you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. And remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to Him at all. And that's why they stood at the door and called out, Lord, Lord, let us in. And how did He respond? Go away. I don't even know you. I don't even know you. That's a tough word, isn't it? Look, from this little parable, I want to draw out three quick little life lessons, okay? And they really apply to us. I want to, I want to just share with you three lessons that I, that I learned from this little study. I want you to understand that this parable was told for the benefit of those who claim to follow Jesus Christ. How many of you in here claim to follow Christ Jesus? Alright, well this story has been told to us, particularly, okay? We say we believe Jesus, we say we've trusted Him as Savior, well, then this parable has been told to people like us. So I want us to think carefully about the lessons contained in this little parable. Lesson number one is this. Just because you're religious doesn't mean you're ready. Y'all hear me? Just because you're religious doesn't mean you're ready. Every Sunday morning at 10 o'clock, two churches gather here at Christian Life Fellowship in Calera. There's a visible church. And that visible church includes everyone who comes, everyone who sits a little tushies down in these seats, everyone that sings these songs. This, there's a visible church made up of members, made up of uh, regular attenders and casual attenders. There, there's a visible church made up of all of our friends and our family and our visitors and our guests. Among them are saved people, and among them are unsaved people. Among them are people whose lives are filled with the Holy Spirit. Among, among this visible church are those who simply are dabbling around in Jesus. 
got a little dab of Jesus, not enough, you know, a little bit to change them, but not enough to save them. The visible church includes everybody here. Those with true faith and those without it. But also, a second church gathers here, and that's the invisible church. And that invisible church is made up of only those who have been truly born again by the Spirit of God through repentance and faith in Christ Jesus. That's the invisible church. And from the naked eye, I can't tell you apart. Y'all look pretty good to me. You got smiles on your faces? Well, most of you. You look really nice. Well, except for Sean. I can't tell tell who's who. I might see some evidence of it, but I still can't judge you that way because I don't know what you do at home on your own, you know? I don't know. I just know when you're here, you look really good. And I like you a lot. I'll say it. I love you. I love you. But I can't tell if you're part of the invisible church or the visible church. That's really between you and the Lord. It's hard to tell the difference. And just like it, it was, it's hard to tell the difference between the wise virgins who were ready and the foolish ones who weren't ready, it's sometimes hard to tell the difference between those who have true faith and those who don't. And this parable reminds us that just because you're religious and go to church, doesn't mean you're ready to meet the Lord. We know people come to church for all kinds of reasons. Some people come to church because they want to, and some people are here today because they have to be here. Some people are here today because they really do love Jesus. And some people are here today simply because they want to hang out with some friends and go out to lunch afterwards. Some people are here because they really want to grow in the Lord and they want accountability in their life. And there are other people here that are, you're just here because you want to impress somebody. You want people to think well of you. I don't know why you're here. I can't see the motivations in your heart. I really can't. I can't tell the difference between the invisible church and the visible church. I can't tell if you're ready or not ready. But you know. And God knows. I don't know why you've come to church this morning. But this parable should remind you that just because you're here doesn't mean you're ready to meet the Lord. Look, coming to church is a really good thing. Coming to Christ is even better. Being baptized is a really good thing. But being born again is way better. Giving money to the church is a good thing. But giving your life to Jesus is so much better. Getting sober is really, really good. But getting saved is way better. I'm telling you guys, that's between you and the Lord. Are you ready? Are you ready? I can't tell you if you're ready or not. I can see evidence. And I can hope for it but only the Holy Spirit can tell you if you're ready. Are you just religious or are you really ready? That's what this parable says to me. 
I need to let the Holy Spirit search my life. I need to know if I am indeed ready to meet Christ or if I'm just being religious and going through the motions. Don't wait until it's too late to be sure because one day the door shuts. Don't wait to be sure. Jesus said in John 3, 3, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. There's no getting into the kingdom of heaven without being born again. There's no way, no way to get into heaven without repentance and belief in Christ. Second, second little lesson I want to point out that I've learned in this parable is this. You can't be saved on borrowed faith. You can't be saved on borrowed faith. You can't be saved on someone else's faith. In verse 8, if you go back and read the parable, it says the foolish virgins asked to borrow some oil from the wise ones. But they get turned down because there wouldn't have been enough for all of them. Now that might seem really cruel, but the point being made here by Jesus is this. Salvation is very much a personal experience. Salvation is very much a personal experience. You can't be saved through someone else's faith. You can't be saved through your mama or your daddy. You can't be saved through your sponsor, through Cindy, through a pastor. You're the one that has to repent of your sin and put your faith in Christ Jesus in order to be saved. It's a very personal experience. And some of us are trying to coast along on someone else's coattails. You can't get into heaven riding the coattails of other people. I hope you hear this. Listen to what Romans 10, 9 and 10 says. Matter of fact, I want you to read it with me because I want you to drive it home in your heart. When we get to the personal words here, you and your, I want you to really say them loud. Okay? But I want us to read this passage, these two little verses together. And I want it to come home to you how personal and experienced salvation is. It's about you. And it's about you and Jesus. Okay? You. You. Not us. You. So let's read it together. When you get to those you and yours, say them real loud. Alright? If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. And it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. There's nothing impersonal about that at all. There's nothing corporate in that at all. It is very much you. You and Jesus. Not you and mama and Jesus. You and the preacher and Jesus. No, it's you and Jesus. Your faith. You can't be saved on borrowed faith. Some of you think you're saved because you come from a family of Christians. No, you have to express your personal faith in Christ Jesus. Some of you, it's amazing to me. Well, I grew up in a Christian home. But you're living like the devil. It doesn't matter what kind of home you grew up in. It doesn't matter what kind of church you go to. You have to express faith in Christ Jesus. You cannot live on someone else's faith. So my question here today for you is, are you personally trusting Christ? Or are you trying to be saved through someone's borrowed faith? It doesn't work that way. And then the third lesson, and this is, the, this is the primary focus of this parable. The third lesson for us is to always be ready to meet Christ Jesus. 
Always be ready to meet Christ Jesus. You see, today the door to salvation does indeed stand open, stands wide open to everyone. But when Christ Jesus returns, that door is shut, just like Noah's ark door was shut. None of us knows when that time will be. We don't know. Jesus said that only the Father knows the day and the hour. We don't know when Christ is coming back for His bride, but when He comes, the door to heaven will be shut for all those left outside. And there's no amount of begging and there's no amount of pleading that will get that door back open again. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 25.13, Therefore keep watch. Keep your eyes open. Always be ready because you don't know the day or the hour. And you're not going to live forever. James 4.14 says why you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. I know you think you do. But you don't. Make all the plans you want. I encourage you to make plans. Set goals. And then James says, you better say, if the Lord wills, when you make them. Because you're not, you're not guaranteed another breath. We fool ourselves into thinking that things will go on as they always have. Self-deception, my friends. If you haven't learned yet that life takes unexpected twists and turns, you will soon. You're not going to live forever. Why? You don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You're a mist. You're a fog. And it appears for a little while and then vanishes. Once this life is over, Hebrews says it like this, it's appointed to man once to die, and then comes judgment. There's no purgatory. There's no period of self-examination. There's no waiting room. When you die, the door to salvation is closed unless you step through it while you were still alive. Let me boil it down. This is what it says to me, okay? <laughs> I love this little parable. The more I study these parables, wow. We need to stop kicking this can down the road. We need to stop waiting on one thing to happen before we give in to Christ. We need to stop pushing the decision off, waiting for another day to make the choice to receive Christ Jesus as Savior. If the Holy Spirit is convicting your heart today, you don't know if you have another day for Him to speak to you. This could be it. Stop kicking the can down the road. Make a choice. Make a decision. 2 Corinthians 6.2 says, For God says at just the right time, I heard you. On the day of salvation, I helped you. Indeed, the right time is now. Today is the day of salvation. Today. 
let me just say this. I, I'm, I'm just going to say this, and I don't, I don't know what might have come of it. I, I'm, I, I don't know what might have come of it. My heart breaks for that young man lying in that, in that hospital bed. Uh, we did pray with him yesterday that he would somehow in his subconscious mind put his faith in Christ. Did he hear me? Did he hear us? I don't know. It would have taken a miracle. But two weeks ago, two weeks ago, he was supposed to have been in church here with his mom. Did you know that? His sister came. His grandmother came. And he was supposed to be here with them. And who knows what might have happened. I'm not saying because he, he missed the service, he lost out on the chance to be saved. I'm, I believe with all my heart God chases us up until we take our last breath, okay? I am just saying two weeks ago he had an opportunity to be here in a service with us. And who knows but whether or not God might have spoken to his heart and brought him into the kingdom. I, I don't know. But I'm just saying, some of us haven't been to church in a long, long time. But for some reason, you're here today to hear a message like this? Do you think that's by coincidence? Don't you think the Lord is trying to break through into your life and in your heart? You can shut him down if you want to. I'm just saying, some of you haven't been in church in a long, long time, but he brought you here today to hear a message about salvation and the finality of life and how we have to make a choice here and can't wait to make the choice later. I don't think that's coincidence. I think that's the plan and purpose of God in your life. Now, what you do with the message is completely up to you. You can receive it, you can reject it, completely up to you. And no one's going to judge you here for that. But I'm asking you, why would you kick the can down the road when today is the day of salvation for you? I think God loves you enough he brought you here today. I think God loves you enough that he wants to save you through and through. God loves you enough that he wants to spend eternity with you. God loves you enough that he sent Christ Jesus to die on the cross to pay the penalty for your sins. To offer you forgiveness. To offer you freedom. To offer you a new way of life. God loves you like that. And he brought you here today to hear a message like this. Some of you, you've been playing church for so long. You got the lingo down. You wear the t-shirts. You got the Jesus fish on your car. But you know, you know, you know when you go home and put your head down on the pillow at night that you're as far from God as you can possibly be. You know it. Nobody has to say a thing to you. You know how far away from God you really are. And I'm telling you, today's the day of salvation. You're here, you're, you know, you kind of hit and miss at church kind of hit and miss with Bible studies. You're hit and miss with a lot of things. But the Lord had you come here today to hear a black and white message of salvation through Christ Jesus alone. You're here for a reason. He loves you like that. 
He's telling you to take off your mask. He's telling you to get real with Him. He's telling you to fully yield your life to the control of the Holy Spirit. To truly be born again. To truly gain a new life in Christ Jesus. He's telling you to stop playing church. Stop pretending to be religious. Really get ready. The time for games, it's over. The time for games, it's over. It's over. It's time to get real. It's time to dive in. It's time to deny yourself and pick up the cross and follow Christ.